it's good to be with you this morning. I want to uh, also speak to CityServe yesterday. Such a, an amazing experience. Um, Tam Lutz, who leads our CityServe team, just does a phenomenal job. I told the first service, put me in the trenches. Yeah, but Tam Lutz, I'm good to go. But we had a number of volunteers there yesterday, and I had conversations with people that I would have never had the chance to have conversations with. One lady I spoke with uh, lost her son and daughter-in-law in a car accident two years ago and now has full custody of their nine-year-old daughter. So we got to talk to her and she got to share that um, every time she comes to one of our events, she feels uplifted and cared for. I got to talk with a lady who was probably in her late 20s, is my guess, or early 30s, but is feeling a calling into ministry um, when she was young, um, her mom uh, had to give up custody of her. Don't know the full story there, but she really has a heart for kids that have lost, the, the, you know, their parents um, in some way, shape, or form. And so, got to talk with her. Got to talk with our new neighbor across the street who just moved in this past week, named Star, and she got to welcome her to the neighborhood and. So it's just, I mean, this is why we do it, because as we form these relationships, Jesus walks the cross, walks across the bridge of relationship. And so we are seeing more and more, we're seeing, we're seeing repeat people, we're earning their trust, and they know that there's something different about us. And we're given opportunities, getting opportunities to invite people to church and share the hope we have in Jesus. So... Very cool. Thank you for those that served. Um, as Blaine mentioned, yes, we are in the sermon series, Grounded and Ready. And, and the whole idea is that this sermon series is helping us with the theme for this year at our church, which is Firm Foundation, uh, Gospel Grounded, Always Ready. So we want you to be a person that goes outside of these doors with the distinctness of Jesus so that people that are hurting and that are in uh, difficult situations can experience the light of Christ, right? And so in order to try and accomplish this goal, we are looking at key characters in the biblical storyline to see how were they grounded and ready uh, to, to be uh, Jesus' representative in the world that they lived in. Today we're going to look at Abraham. Uh, and this crazy passage in Genesis 22 regarding Abraham and his son Isaac. And so I'm going to read this passage to you. And then what we'll do is we'll, we'll consider what's going on. And then how can we apply it to our lives so that we're gospel grounded and ready. Okay? Genesis 22 starting at verse 1. Now it came to pass... After these things, that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. 
the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. They came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, And they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Okay, so this is one, this is a crazy passage, is it not? This is one of those passages that, like, just on the surface, especially, is like so disturbing, and it seems to contradict everything that I know to be true about God. Like, why would God be asking Abraham to sacrifice to kill his son? And then, you know, burn him uh, as a burnt offering. Like, it just seems absurd. But the more I studied this passage and hours and hours and hours and researching, um, I have come to see God's great, his treasure of wisdom and knowledge in this passage. And I'm hoping if you have found this passage extremely weird and disorienting, Uh, that you will see God's goodness in this passage, okay? So let me give you an explanation of the passage first, and then we'll apply it to our context. All right, first, you need to know what's going on in this passage is that God tested Abraham. Verse 1 tells us that truth. Now here's what you need to know about the test that God sends to people or allows them to experience. God's, God, he designs tests to both reveal and develop our character. That's God's purpose for tests, okay? Now, what did the test that God designed for Abraham consist of? Well, it was all about, Abraham, will you trust your most prized possession? Will you trust me with your most prized possession? That was the test. Now, let me explain to you why Isaac was Abraham's most prized possession. There, there's multiple reasons. The first is this. Isaac was Abraham's only son. Technically, Abraham had another son named Ishmael. 
but Ishmael and Hagar, they had already left. And so for all intent and purposes, Isaac was Abraham's only son, okay? Isaac, here's another reason why Isaac was Abraham's most prized possession, is that Isaac was Abraham's heir. Now you need to know that back in this time, oh my goodness, having an heir that would carry on your family name, possess your family's land, keep intact your position in society, it was huge. It was so important. It was so important that women, their worth and value was connected to, could they provide a son for their husband? If they couldn't, they were looked down upon because having an heir was so critical. And the firstborn son got just about everything from the father. And the reason why is at this time, if it would be divided amongst the father's kids, then the father's position in society, that family name, would no longer have the position that it once had because the father's status and wealth would be divided among so many. And so it was the law of primogeniture is, is the name of it, but the firstborn son got the lion's share of all the father had. Okay, so Abraham finally has an heir in Isaac. Okay, Abraham and his wife struggled through many years of infertility before finally having Isaac at a very old age. So Abraham, I think 100, Sarah, 90. Um, I think this is hilarious. It tickled my funny bone. Uh, J.D. Greer, uh, pastor, he said, uh, both Abraham and Isaac got diapers when Isaac was born. I thought that was hilarious. All right, so, you know, here, we, you know, they had waited for decades, Abraham and Sarah, and now they finally have this son. If, if you struggle with infertility, you know how gut-wrenching that can be. All right, in Genesis 12, here's another reason why Isaac was Abraham's most prized possession. Genesis 12 tells us that God promised Abraham that through his descendants, he was going to bless the entire world. And Abraham knew the world needed healing. Abraham lived through Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Like he knew that the nations need to, needed to experience the blessing of God, and God promised that he would do it through Abraham's descendants, which includes Isaac. So there is no question as to why Abraham so loved Isaac. And in fact, the word love that's used in our passage means to have great affection for and loyalty to. That's what it means. And so, why on earth would God ask Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac? Doesn't God's promise to Abraham doesn't this act that God is calling Abraham to engage in seem to contradict the promise that God has made to Abraham? How confusing, how disorienting. This was a test of faith. You know, something is not a test in your life until to obey one, one of God's commands seems to put you out of the path of blessing. Something's not a test in your life until obedience to one of God's commands seems to put you out of the path of God's blessing. That's when it's a real test. Okay. Now, here's something that is important for you to know. This was not Abraham's first test of faith. If you read Genesis, from Genesis 12 to Genesis 22, 
you're going to see Abraham be tested multiple times. And so this is not Abraham's first test. Some of those past tests he failed. Some of them he passed. And you also need to know that the birth of Isaac wasn't the first miracle that Abraham experienced. There were other miracles before Isaac. Um, you can, you also, it's helpful to know that Abraham, by with the time we get to our passage, Genesis 22, was really adept at hearing God's voice and discerning it well. Okay? So this gives us some background to, to where Abraham's at. And then... So why, why does Abraham, we, we need to ask this, why does, why does he actually go through with walking up the mountain to offer his son as a burnt offering? If, if, if you look at Hebrews 11.9, it tells us why. It says that Abraham concluded that God was able to raise Isaac up even from the dead. That word concluded is so critical because what this tells us, because if you look at the word concluded in the dictionary, it tells us that conclude means to arrive at a judgment or an opinion by reasoning. And so when you come to a conclusion, what are you doing? You're using your reasoning to think through the details. You're using your reasoning to think through the facts so that you can come to a decision. That's what it means. So the third thing is, so this was not Abraham's first test of faith. Now let's go to Abraham reason. Now what did Abraham think through? What was he considering? Let me just share a few things with you here. The first is this. Abraham knew what a burnt offering was. Uh, burn, the first burnt offering happened in Genesis 8 with Noah. There's every bit of evidence here in our passage that Abraham knew what a burnt offering was because Abraham doesn't ask God for instructions. He seems to know what is going on. Isaac seemed to know what was happening. A burnt offering, when you uh, sacrifice a burnt offering, you put your hand on the head of the animal that you were sacrificing, and that signified that your sin was being transferred to the animal, and that animal was dying in your place for that sin. So Abraham knew what a burnt offering was. Consequently, Abraham would have known that God was calling in his family's debt. Remember how I said that Abraham's whole family, the hopes and dreams of his family were all tied up in the air, which was Isaac. And because that's how things were at this time, uh, the, the heir was the representative of a family. And so, when God is requiring Abraham to sacrifice his firstborn son, his heir, what God is doing, and Abraham knew this, Abraham, what God was calling Abraham's family's dead end. Abraham knew that God was calling his debt in. That the just penalty for Abraham and for Isaac's sin and the rest of his family, God was calling it was time to pay up. If you look at, uh, if you read, uh, the, you know, the, the, the whole Exodus account, um, when God was judging the sin of the Egyptians and also the Israelites, what did he require as payment? The firstborn son. Because the firstborn son, again, was the representative of the family. That's where all their hopes and dreams were bound up. 
And that's what God required for the sin. Now, here's something else that the commentators will tell you that Abraham knew. Abraham knew that God was justified in asking him to sacrifice his son as a burnt offering. You do not find Abraham in this passage protesting against God. And if you think he was incapable of protesting uh, to God, all you have to do is look at the, the account of Sodom and Gomorrah, and you have Abraham speaking up, protesting. In this passage, there is no protest, nor is there a protest from Isaac. They knew that God was justified in requiring the firstborn son for their family's sin. And that's why they don't, do not put up a fight. And if Isaac was strong enough to carry up a, a, a whole bunch of wood on his back up the mountain, then he was strong enough to you know, kick 100-year-old Abraham out of the way and run away. We don't see this. Commentators think he was a teenager, right? He could have done that. We don't see it. They knew God's justice was rightfully falling. Now, no doubt also, Abraham is thinking about some other things, and he's reasoning. He's thinking, and he's reasoning, and he's considering. No doubt Abraham was considering all of God's past faithfulness to him. The promises God had made in the past. And how God was faithful and God's character and God's love for him. He was thinking about these things, no doubt. What else was Abraham thinking hard about? What else was he re using his reason and his intellect for? Abraham had to have considered how he failed past tests by walking in disobedience to God. Because at the time, <laughs> disobedience appeared to offer a better way to God's promises. Think about it. If you read Genesis 12 to Genesis 22, you will find Abraham lying about Sarah. He says to protect himself. He wasn't willing to trust God's protection for him. And so instead of saying the, the truthful thing that Sarah is my wife, he lies and says she is my sister. And that led to some bad outcomes. And then when Abraham still, they're struggling with infertility, Sarah's barren. So what does Abraham do? Instead of trusting God's timing and provision, Abraham takes matters into his own hands. He engages in polygamy to have a son, Ishmael. Um, polygamy never works out, just so you know if you're thinking about it. Um, the Old Testament, uh, it shows us that time and time again. Okay? All right. There was a lot of negative consequences that came into Abraham's life as a result of that decision. The point here is Abraham really think quest from God through. He is reasoning. And this teaches us an extremely, extremely uh, important lesson. 2 Corinthians 5.7 teaches us that we walk by faith and not by sight. Right? But notice that this verse does not say we walk by faith, not by reason. It does not say that. Faith, the faith God asks for, is never blind. It's never just blind obedience. It is always trust in God after you've done the hard thinking that is necessary to examine and ponder the, 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 the reality that you're in and the facts before you. Please know that. Some people think that becoming a Christian is you check your brain at the door and then that's how you become a Christian. No. 
Christians are people that have done the hard thinking of looking at the world and that after doing the hard thinking have concluded through their intellect that Christianity is the best explanation of the world they see. And if you haven't done the hard thinking about your faith, you're going to be on shaky ground when the tests come. Have you thought hard? If you call yourself a Christian, have you, heart, have you thought hard and long about why you believe? Okay, now, here is the conundrum that Abraham found himself in. This was the predicament. How is God going to be just and punish his sin and his family's sin, but yet show them grace and save Isaac's life? How is this going to happen? And here, so what, what Abraham does, he looked at everything that we just talked about, and he decides that even though I cannot see the answer, I am choosing to trust based on my thinking about who God is, what he's about, and my experience with him. I'm choosing to trust God to provide for me even though right now I can't see how he's going to do it. And I'm not sure. You see, it was God's justice and his mercy and grace that got Abraham up that mountain. If Abraham would have believed that God was only just, you think he would have went up that mountain? Heck no. Like, I'm going I'm to go sacrifice my son. Like, I would not want to go up that mountain. How's that going to get you up the mountain? And yet, because God, Abraham knew God was merciful and gracious and a God that provides, he was able to get up that mountain. But if God wasn't holy and just, Abraham would have never gone up that mountain either. Because he'd be like, well, why would I have to go? Why would my son have to die? It's God's holiness, his justice, and his mercy and grace that got Abraham up the mountain. All right, now, I want you to see this. Um, Abraham passed the test. So just as Abraham had his hands stretched out to drive the knife into his son, we were told this. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the ladder. Do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. And there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. What was the answer to the predicament? How can God be holy? How can he be just? And yet at the very same time, how can he be so gracious and merciful and compassionate? The answer was the substitute. God provided the ram so that his justice and his mercy and grace could be met. It's wonderful. Okay, now, Abraham demonstrated his all-out faith and dependence on God because he was willing to place his most prized possession in God's hands. 
And the result of this is Abraham was a channel by which God blessed the world. Look at this. This is remarkable. Genesis 22, 15 through 18. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, Blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all nations of the earth shall be blessed. Why? Because you have obeyed my voice. Do you know that the reason you're sitting here, if you are sitting here and you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you are trusting Him with your life as your Lord, it's because, one of those reasons is because of Abraham, was faithful to God thousands of years ago, and it has reached you. Does God exist? Oh my goodness. How do you explain it? How do you explain that? God doesn't exist. Now, how can we apply this to our lives? Here's the thing you need to know. Guess what? God will test you. God's going to test you. You might be in a test right now. God will test you. Now you may be thinking, is he going to require me to sacrifice my firstborn son? Thankfully, no. There's so much in that passage that ind indicates that this was a unique and specific test for Abraham. Which means the test that God gives to you will be unique and specific, custom tailored to what you need in your life and in your walk with him at that moment. And although our, God's not going to require us to sacrifice our firstborn son, Elijah's, Elijah's sitting there, amen. Um, <laughs> he will test you and it will have the same purpose though that God had in testing Abraham with that test. And it will be to reveal the condition of your faith and to grow your faith. He will reveal the condition of your faith and he will grow your faith through the test. Okay, why? All right, well, let me say this. I truly believe after studying this passage, this is the second time I've preached on it, that if there was a kinder, gentler, more expedient way to grow Abraham's faith, God would have done it. This was the way to bring Abraham to all-out dependence on God. And there's nothing better God could have done for Abraham than that. Because when you have all dependence on the firm foundation that is God, you're unstoppable. Nothing can shake you. What a gift. All right, why does God want our faith to grow? I'm just saying but let me uh, put it this way. The more our faith grows, the more we engage the world with the distinctness of Jesus and remain unshaken. Think about it. If Isaac, would have if Isaac would have remained an idol for Abraham, Abraham would have been consumed with Isaac. He would have been controlling everything in Isaac's life, you know, not preparing him for the path, but clearing the path for him. He would have been Try, he would have been controlling Isaac. And he would have had these unrealistic expectations on Isaac because his identity and hope and everything was on Isaac and it would have crushed Isaac. Parents who make idols out of their kids crush their kids. 
This is a major idol in American culture, by the way. Maybe the, in this area, perhaps the greatest idol, our children. So God is stripping that away from him so that Abraham's healthy, so that Isaac will be healthy, right? And if Abraham, if Isaac would remain Abraham's idol, Abraham would have been tossed around continually because when Isaac's doing well, Abraham's elevated. When Isaac messes up or does something stupid or doesn't meet expectations in Abraham's, his whole self-image would plummet. He would have been all over the place, completely unstable. You see, God tests us to reveal to us what we are really placing our trust in. You see, we all have these little onlys, you know? Abraham had his only son, Isaac. What's your own little only? That I will follow God's if he doesn't require me to give up that. If he did, whatever's on the other side of your if is your true God. What's on the other side of your if? All right. One last point. Um, and just remember, if you were in a test right now, if there was a kinder, more gentler, more expedient way to develop the rock-solid faith in you that God wants to create in you, he would do it a different way. He is good, he is loving, he is all-wise, and if there was a better way, he would be doing it. Okay, last point, most important point. How do we get up the mountain and overcome our test? I already talked about uh, it a bit, but let me put it this way. The best possible use of our reason to find the courage to pass our test of faith is to meditate on God's sacrifice of his one and only son. Do you know? I mean, maybe you started to see this. Do you see the connections here in our passage? What is this foreshadowing? What is this episode in Genesis 22 pointing to? Oh, boy. Did you know that this episode, where did it happen in Genesis 22? On Mount what? Moriah. Do you know? Second uh, Chronicles 3.1 tells us that Mount Moriah is where Jerusalem was. Mount Moriah is where the temple was built. Mount Moriah is where Calvary happened. Don't you see that what happened in Genesis 22 was foreshadowing what would happen at a later time where God the Father, he goes up the mountain with God the Son. And God the Son, like Isaac, has wood on his back, but it's not sticks. It is a crossbeam of wood. And God the Father is going up the mountain with God the Son, and God the Son, he, he, he cries out, similar to Isaac. Isaac says, you know, where is... Where's the, the ram, right? We have God the Son cries, Oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we have God the Father, He pulls back the knife, and there's nobody to stop God the Father. And God the Father, He, he drives the knife into God the Son on the cross. Why? Why? Don't you know that that ram that was sacrificed as a substitute for Isaac and Abraham's family, it could only temporarily make some, you know, 
repair to the relationship with God. But it cannot deal with Abraham's family's sin and Isaac's sin once and for all. Do you understand that the reason Abraham didn't have to drive the knife into Isaac is because one day God the Father would drive the knife into God the Son in his place. That's why. And that's why you don't have to drive the knife into your firstborn son because God has already done that for us in our place. And before you start thinking, oh my goodness, it sounds like giant, uh, you know, divine child abuse, this was the plan of the Father, of the Son, God the Spirit as well. Like they, were, they made this plan before the foundations of the world that this is how they would rescue and redeem us. You see, the way you get up the mountain of your test is to realize that you have a God that has sacrificed so greatly for you. How did God know Abraham loved him? Because Abraham was willing to trust his most prized possession to God. How did God know Abraham loved him? Because, well, how did Abraham know God loved him? Yeah, because he was willing to provide a substitute for him. And this is what the Apostle Paul does in Romans 8. He takes the same wording from Genesis 22 and he applies it right here in Romans 8.32. Let me read verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? How do you know that God loves you in the middle of your test? Because he was willing to give up his most prized possession, his one and only son, to meet your greatest need, which is rescue from Satan's sin and death. And if he was willing to do that, how will he not provide for all of your lesser needs? Amen. That's how you know. That's how you know he loves you. That's what can get you up the mountain. You see, Paul, he's reasoning, he's thinking. Look at Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am persuaded. Paul is thinking. He's doing the hard work of really considering the facts. And after considering the facts, he is persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if Jesus is for us, what can stand against us? Paul is reasoning. You see, the more that the gospel becomes real to you, the more that you think on it, the more it becomes just in your heart of hearts, the more unshakable you're going to be, the more uh, able you're going to be able to enter the world outside of these doors with the distinctness of Jesus. You see, all other foundations, if it's your looks, it's going to crumble before you. One day, Mary got home from school. She does cartwheels for kindergartners. Uh, when they do great things, she comes home and like, my calf, I did like, I can't even walk. And on the same day, I'm like, my shoulder, it's like just, it, it's on fire from golfing. <laughs> like your body's going to fail you. It is an unshakable, it's a very shakable foundation. If it's your wealth, that's a shaky foundation. It can be gone in an instant, right? If it's your career, one day your company's going to replace you and they're not even going to remember these are all shaky foundations. God is the only firm foundation. All right, let's pray.
Lord Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, thank you that you didn't want the new heavens and new earth without us. And so you came. You sent the Son to die in our place so that we could be rescued and redeemed, so that we can know you and be transformed by you from the inside out, by you, Holy Spirit, that dwells in us when we believe. Lord, um, help us to focus on this great sacrifice that was made so that we have what we need to overcome the tests that you place in our life, to grow our faith, to reveal our faith and grow it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.